Hey, it's Ian Altman. My guest this week is Chris Yoko. Chris is the CEO of a digital agency, Yoko CO, and they help organizations with digital marketing and web presences that actually drive results. And Chris and his team have been big advocates of same-side selling in their business. We're going to talk about the keys to what has helped Chris grow his business by 40% this year alone, how they shift the focus from price to results with their customers, and specific things you can do to make it clear to your customers that you really care about them versus just about making money. You're going to learn a ton. It's really inspirational with Chris Yoko. Chris Yoko, welcome, man. Thank you so much for having me, Ian. Good to be here. It's always fun talking to you. Can you start by sharing something surprising with our audience that they may not know about you? Um, something surprise. Some people seem to be surprised that I play as much hockey as I do. I try to play, you know, two or three times a week. And yeah. I guess a surprising element of it would be I've actually gotten to play with NHL players a couple of times, which is incredibly humbling. Yeah, and and you and you and you don't necessarily limp very often and you've got your teeth. So that's the more <laughs> remarkable part about it. The miracles of modern dentistry at work. I actually have lost the the first four top ones thanks to a, an accident on the ice. Oh, really? Well, so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> but at least, you know, we live in modern times and they can correct those kind of things. <laughs> exactly. So those of you thinking about having your kids play hockey, you may want to think again. Um, those of you living in Canada, keep going for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, uh, yeah, if you're going to play two weeks before your wedding, put your mouth guard in. Oh, wow. Is that what you did, really? Yeah, I got him knocked out. I sent the picture home to my wife, like, after I got on the ice, and she's like, you're going to the dentist tomorrow. We are getting married in less than 12 days. <laughs> wow. That's classic. That's, you know what? I didn't, I know you pretty well, and I didn't even know that. There we go. Surprising as it is. That's cool. So I, I wanted to have you on the show because there's some things that you've done in growing your business that have really have really helped you stand out from the competition, earn a lot of repeat and referral business, and achieve some pretty remarkable growth. In fact, just starting right off the bat, what level did you grow in this you know most recent year? Uh, yeah. So for this year, we had set pretty aggressive uh, growth targets, and we were hitting it. It's a little over 40%. Yeah. So for those of you sitting there thinking, hey, man, you know, we're trying to move from single digit to double digit growth. And and Chris's team at Yoko is doing this at 40 percent. Um, what have been some of the keys to that growth? I mean, the, the first and foremost, obviously, is you're delivering great value for your customers. But be, beyond just that, hey, we do great work. What are some of the things that are changing the conversations with your potential clients? One of the biggest ones is, and you know, part of the reason I think we're talking today is coming from some of the lessons that you've helped teach, which is as we focused more and more around the impact we can help a client have and the value that impact has for their organization, it's been something we've been well-intentioned about but not actually executing for a long time. So we'd have the conversations, but we wouldn't necessarily stop pursuing an activity or a possible opportunity if – we noticed like maybe it didn't feel like a great fit off the bat, whereas this year we've been much better about noting, you know, okay, in the first conversation or two, does this or does this not fit as a really good opportunity where we can help them knock it out of the park? And if it doesn't, 
let them know that, feel comfortable saying no, and then moving on to the, you know, focus on the opportunities where really they can. So, so and- I'll, I'll, I would just spend a little bit more time on that because this is something that I guarantee you half our audience just now was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, and didn't quite understand it. So many people, many people in when they're growing their business, their focus is solely, well, do I think I can close this deal or not? Can I win this sale or not? But that's not your litmus test for whether or not you're pursuing an opportunity. So go into that a little bit deeper. So give me an example of where you might decide not to pursue something versus pursuing something based on your feeling about what you can deliver for results. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of different ones and I can certainly speak to this from experience because for the longest time, you know, I was in the shoes of the person you just mentioned, which was like, oh, do like, I think we can get it as a win. Like those are the one we should go after everything. And if you can win it, that's how you grow. And you know, it's not until more recently I've noticed how mistaken that is. So one of the main areas that we'll focus on, um, as you know, but maybe the audience would not is, uh, you know, we're a web presence management agency. So a lot of what we're doing deals with technology platforms, and for the longest time, we wanted to be able to remain agnostic to you know all of the technology and then work with organizations that really want to help have a positive impact. No matter what platforms they're using, we can be the guys to help you do that. And as technologies continue to grow, especially over the last couple of years, there's so much change across so many platforms and so many things are options that to truly say you are entirely agnostic as an organization is – pretty much impossible like or that or you're just equally bad at everything and that gives you the option <laughs> to be agnostic so whenever we decided like okay look we're really good at helping organizations that want to make a positive impact on the world that are currently using or are interested in moving over to these specific platforms you know things like open source content management systems um, marketing automation platforms like HubSpot, Marketo, SharpSpring, stuff like that. There are some that we've decided to focus on and really specialize in. And whereas before we would just chase after anything that was, oh, we need a new website. Oh, we need help with marketing automation. Oh, we need help with content production. It's now really focusing in on the things that we can really knock out of the park. And you know, there's no shortage of organizations that can do good work. So if we're not going to be the greatest partner for them, we're doing them a disservice by trying to win that work uh, as well. So really by focusing on the opportunities we can do the best at, we've won more of them because we put more care and concern into the ones that we're a good fit for as opposed to just kind of feeling scrambled and chasing, chasing after everything. So, so how hard is it to have that conversation internally that says, wow, these guys fit our, what we see as our ideal client profile perfectly? They're just like, man, this is this is the client we've dreamed to have, but the way they want to do it is not the way that we would approach it. It has taken me four years to even get to a place where we have like protocols in place to be able to have that conversation. So I realized as the personality type I am, like it is still in my nature to want to please everyone and like go after all those opportunities, knowing that's my you know, kind of default nature. What we set up internally is some conversations that have to happen before we move forward with any opportunity. And we also have some people on the team that are meant to challenge me with some questions that ask exactly what you just phrased. You know, is this really the right fit? What are the, what is, if they're not using the stack we're on, like what is the thing about this potential opportunity that makes it an okay exception? And most of the time it's like, okay, you're right. It's not, we need to focus. Um, but it's not an easy thing to do, especially if you know you're the kind of person that wants to go after and win everything. Which I think a lot of you know entrepreneurs, and especially you know those of us in the world of like business development and sales and that kind of stuff, you know that's kind of who we are at heart. So it can be hard to you know throttle back sometimes. 
Yeah, and and the 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 beauty is just hearing you talk about this. I mean, I guarantee there's people listening thinking, well, but if you do that, you're walking away from deals and and you're not going to be able to grow your business, but yet you grew 40% in one year <laughs> while at the same time saying no to pursuits that on paper might seem like they were good fits. Yeah, and a lot of it is, you know, it's okay, we didn't take the time to chase and lose six deals. We narrowed it down and won two deals. And that's a better ratio no matter how you look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's that's a refreshing outlook on it. So when give give our audience a little bit of insight into what are the conversations like with your potential clients when they're talking about a project? Because you know if you're talking about web presence you know, what's the typical discussion that organizations have had and that other people in your space might have versus the conversations that you have? So it's uh, it's fun to bring that up because that point of differentiation is one of the things that's gone hand in hand with, you know, what we've been doing to help really position ourselves well and help flesh out which of those opportunities are the right fit for us. Um, I'm sure if people are listening to this episode, they've certainly heard you talk about uh, what you put together with the client vision pyramid. And being able to open and use something like that at the onset of the conversation, one, helps level set and helps you kind of differentiate, you know, hey, here are the categories you're going to see people in our space play in. And the big differentiator, especially in ours, is you're going to have your design-heavy shops, which, you know, they might go into an initial meeting with a mock-up of the potential client's website already in hand. Like, hey, here you go. And if you're just after aesthetics and you just want like a fresh coat of paint, like, you know, so be it. That might be the right, you know, fit for you. But if you want to build something that's optimized to achieve certain business or organizational objectives and they haven't talked to you about any of what those objectives are, like clearly that's not going to be the thing that's best built for it. That's just what they thought looked neat for you. So, you know, we can very quickly differentiate ourselves in those conversations. The other side of that is, again, being in the world of tech, you have your development-heavy shops, which they'll talk to you about all the latest and greatest tools that they can use. And, oh, we can do this in, you know, Angular, React. Like we can get into like these more modern kits and stuff that you have available to you, regard just because they're neat technology and they want to play with it not because it's the best solution for you based on your objectives. And so ours is really coming in at that engaged level that you talk about and being able to have a conversation about what type of, again, for us, it all comes back to impact on the world as a whole. So we look at that ripple effect that this organization has and then their organizational objectives to help them achieve that success. And then we work everything backwards from there. So the design, the development, the build, the content, all of that stuff has to be well aligned with those objectives. And we find there's not a lot of people in our space that are having that conversation, which is surprising because that's where you know you really get a chance to determine the kind of value and impact you have. And, and Chris, let me let me ask you this: so people right now are, are probably thinking, okay, cool. So I do that I do that through the sales process, and now I now I earn that account. Then what? Are, are you done? Are you done on the results side at that point? <laughs> and then it's not your problem anymore. And away you go. Um, I mean, that's obviously you know the trick to. It's not really even a trick. I think a lot of people think it is, but that's you know the real thing that helps you grow reliably. Like it's in an ever connected world. Like if you deliver garbage work or you under deliver to those results, you're certainly not going to have anyone coming back to you. And you know there are some firms that maybe churn through folks and then rebrand and rename every few years and do it all again. But if you really want to be able to 
impress those clients, you use all that information you collected in the sales process to make sure you have configured and built something that is going to be successful. And it sounds cliche at this point to be, you know, a partner in success or whatever. But if you feel ownership and real accountability for the thing your client is trying to achieve, you're going to make sure that you build it in such a way that they achieve those results. And if you care about your client and you do feel like a partner, you tend to feel more included in their organization and you feel more personally related to their people. And we find our teams usually have a lot of personal relationships develop. And so if you can make it a fun and interesting experience, a positive experience working together and achieve results, like why wouldn't they want to come back and work with you again? But you can't tee all this up and seem like, hey, we're going to help you achieve these results and then turn around and just empty in that up empty that out into the same process that you do for, you know, everyone else, whether it gets the results or not, you've really got to follow through on what you say you're going to do. So so you're actually, after you deliver whatever platform, whatever, whatever website it happens to be, you're actually, you've actually built into these platforms tools to measure the results that you've agreed are important to them. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people consider that, you know, sale is complete whenever the contract is signed. We don't consider it complete until, after they've achieved the actual results they're looking for. So as a part of, you know, let's say it's a website that we're building, right? We'll go through, you know, we do all the work to build it. As you mentioned, we put in the uh, analytic platforms to be able to help them measure towards whatever objectives they identified at the onset of our relationship. And then we actually meet with them even after we've launched the site, usually 30, 60, 90, and sometimes six months and one year afterwards to help them look at those analytics, interpret them, understand what they mean, demonstrate how they are or sometimes aren't moving forward towards the objectives they've set out initially and how do they better leverage the tools and technology and training that we've given them, whether that's on their own or collaboratively, how do we do it together to get things on track and achieve those objectives? Or if we are on track, how do we accelerate that? Can they overshoot their objectives? Can we accomplish more? But it all comes back to that accountability. And I kind of think of it as accountability through transparency. If there's no guesswork and everyone can see the data, then it's just a matter of have you done your job or not. Yes. You're not, you're not celebrating clicks and views (laughs) or vanity metrics. You're actually measuring the impact on their organization their clients, and you take it even a step further in how it's impacting their end constituents in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like you said, like the clicks and likes, they're fun to see. They're super easy to measure, which is why so many people like to focus on them. They take literally no effort to measure at all. But they're not the metrics that actually measure impact. They can be useful, you know, indicators. So we like to use those at the beginning of the process to say, hey, look, looks like this is starting to build up steam. And as you get more traffic, you start to get more contacts. As you get more contacts, you get more opportunities. You get more opportunities. You're having more conversations. You're starting more relationships. You're impacting more organizations, thereby impacting their customers, their clients, their patients, members, whatever the case might be. And then, like you said, those end metrics are the ones we're most interested in. And, and how, do, how is that impacting repeat and referral business? I mean, over the last year – how much of that business growth came from repeat and referral business? Uh, almost all of it uh, came from either you know, clients re-upping or referring us to others or people moving from one organization to another. So, I mean, that was 
the vast majority of it, uh, especially for you know some of the larger engagements we get into, and we tend to work with our clients for a long time. So you know, being able to grow and have that many people super excited to work with you that they're sharing the word and that they're the ones out there promoting you, and even the stuff that comes in through our own marketing, usually it's a lot of our clients, you know, sharing stuff with you know their members, colleagues, etc. They get passed down the line or shared enough on social media, and that's how they end up coming back to us. So even the stuff that we might have originally attributed to, you know. Somebody finding us based on a certain article or something online, we find, you know, if you go three steps back, they know so and so who told them to go check out this blog, you know, six months ago and they came back and saw a case study of the work we did with their friend and it all comes full circle. So it's an interconnected world. Like you can't get away with doing bad work anymore. So so this this all sounds great. And what I want to know is what are the areas that have been a struggle? Where 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 are the challenges? that you had to kind of muscle through or where are the areas that you said, yeah, we forgot to do this and it took us a while to build that within the team and here's how we had to deal with non-sales people in the organization and get them on board. What what are some of the things that that weren't necessarily easy? Because right now it's you look back and go, yeah, 40% growth, firing all cylinders, it's great. But I know it's not, it's never just like a straight line. <laughs> I would have just basically stuttered and fell over my words if we talked about this last year, but this year's really put a pretty fine edge on it. One of the things that we weren't really cognizant of last year that has made a really big impact this year has been a lot of the folks on our team who are on the you know business development front or start a lot of these new relationships are super aware of you know all of the metrics and the impact down to really minute details. What has not happened as much as we'd like it to until this year has been kind of how that is then shared with the whole team. So before it used to be like, okay, that person kind of has all the information in their head and you know, then the gets translated into these kind of technical requirements and okay, to achieve this, we need to build this and do this and do that. And then, you know, the the rest of the team would go through and begin to build that and that would get to the outcome. Usually, but what it didn't allow us to do was have everybody on the team contributing in the same way the first people that started the conversation could. And now one of the big things that we've done is we've taken a mentality of everyone on our team should have the same kind of mentality as the people starting these business development relationships and kind of the people most people would probably consider like a sales role and have access to the same metrics, the same ideas, the same conversations because then they can say, oh, you know what? If they're trying to achieve X, like I know we said we're going to build Y, but we might want to build Z instead, which has all these benefits of Y, but this one trade off and it's going to help them accelerate this payback or it's going to help them impact this many more people or do this more easily, whatever the case might be. We found that that has been a really big player in one, allowing everybody on the team to better serve and share ideas as opposed to like one or two people leading the strategy and then just having the rest of the team execute. The other thing and one of the reasons it's contributed so much to growth is either during or after an engagement, it's allowed everyone on the team to notice other opportunities that we can go back to our clients and say, hey, you said you want to achieve you know, positively impacting this many people or saving this much you know, of the rainforest this year or whatever the case might be. We did the website and here's what we did here and there. We could also integrate with this platform. We could also help set up this communication tool. We could also help on this side with video production. Everyone's been more cognizant and aware of how they can help and put their ideas to use to help get to this state of end impact. And thankfully, everyone on our team has been really, really fun about 
owning it and being able to take control of it and being really vocal uh, to share those opportunities where they pop up. And that's given us the opportunity to go back to the client and say, hey, so glad we were able to work with you here and help you achieve X. We'd love to work with you further, and we think we could do these kind of things to achieve Y. And if nothing else, we've given them the idea. And a lot of times, especially this year, um, they've been, one, really appreciative of it regardless, but then also, two, they've taken us up on it a lot. So it's opened the doors to a lot more collaboration and opportunity. Cool. And and let me let me ask you this. What are some of the things that you do to kind of build that culture in-house so that you've got this common language and people – um, people have a comfort level when they have these conversations with clients because I got to believe you got people who maybe, you know, this was a foreign language to them when they started. <laughs> uh, that is very true. So there's kind of two sides to that. The first is getting to impact, and there's some tools, some that you've created that we use to get to that. So I'll talk to that side. And then there's also kind of the personal relationship and connection to the mission. Okay. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Sure. Um, but first things first is to get the you know the conversation to happen and to focus on the right things, which you know I know took me years and years of just having repeated exposure to it and reminders. Um, you know, hey, these are the questions they need to ask before it became muscle memory. And so those are things that we're now trying to get into people's muscle memory a little bit more quickly. So one of the things that you've created that we use a lot for that is uh, obviously you know the same side selling improv deck. Yep. The idea of same side improv is that. You you basically have three characters in each improv or role play session where we have the salesperson, the customer or prospect, and an observer. And then in each round, you've got about 10 minutes. We're measuring it against the same side quadrants. Um, so we're seeing how they're doing in terms of capturing information about issue, impact importance, results, others impacted. And the cards make it so that each round you're getting a different experience. So different little hidden objections come up or hidden objectives for the prospect. So you get experience using that. So with that background, how's that working with your team? Yeah. So that's been one of the tools we use to make that muscle memory. So like the way I learned how to have those conversations is, you know, I met you and I'd been exposed to a lot of the work that you've done. And then I would just go through and fail my way through conversation after conversation for several years and get slightly better each time, which is like not a great scalable strategy. So we use the same side improv deck to basically enable people to make that muscle memory. And we do that across uh, the entirety of the team so that everyone has exposure to those conversations. And you never know when you know a project manager or a designer or somebody might be on a call with a client and these things start to come up and they're the one having those conversations. So whereas I know I've heard a lot of people talk about having their salespeople and their business development people use this game, I find it's really useful for everybody on the team to have you know this level of exposure. And then what it helps you do is it just helps you kind of fail faster and in a safer place. So sure. I mean, just like practice with sports or practice training or practice with anything else, you get a chance to go in there and it's a safe environment. You know, you've got two of your colleagues around you who aren't going to give you too much grief. And then we go through, we actually play the game and you start to really understand like, hey, you missed asking these questions that would have gotten you to impact. Or, hey, you got uh, – I know one that we fall into all the time is we go so deep into as soon as the problem is announced, like technically how to solve it and what kind of ideas could we use to solve it that we forget to pause and see like, hey, is this worth solving? So we're constantly like still to this day like, hey, like you got into how. Let's talk about why. Yeah, you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. That's that's one of the most common things because people say, wait, wait. I know how to solve that. It's like, well, but that may not be the issue that's most important to them. That may <laughs> exactly. not be something that's worth solving, but you just came up with a solution and probably gave away a bunch of free consulting. 
Yeah. So we uh, we do that, and it gives you a really good chance to better prepare yourself. So whenever you're actually having the conversation with the client, you've already got the practice in. And it's, one, I think, more respective of our team's time because we're not just letting them go out there and practice and fail on their own um, and have that be like how you get a year's worth of experience just by going out and failing. And I think it's being far more mindful of the client because you're saying, hey, look, I've put time into practicing this conversation so that we can have the best conversation possible and help you get to the impact you're trying to achieve in the least amount of time. So while maybe somebody else can get them there by flubbing their way through you know, a conversation, if we're directing the conversation and asking the appropriate questions, we can now do in 15, 20 minutes what I used to try to kind of flounder my way through in an hour and a half. Yeah. And if that's not respectful of somebody's time, like I don't know what is. Yeah. Well, and, and I also need to give you credit because Chris is the guy who was the inspiration behind the Same Side Quadrant journals. So I remember talking to you and you said, well, you know, I'm always – I'm struggling to keep track of what to ask in these meetings. So I created this little template for it and I thought, man, we could build on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yours are, are far pretty. But yeah, that uh, I have that. I still have you know that pad in for you know, years. I would just yeah. make sure that I had it for every single one of those calls to make sure you touch on all the things you need to be touching on. Don't leave anything blank. Yep. So Chris, if there was one thing – that you would give people as advice that says, look, if you're going to do, if you're going to take one step towards better serving your clients to achieve the kind of growth that you're achieving, what would you tell them to do? Um, so a lot of people would probably say in my default response would be to, you know, focus on the client's objective and impact. And that's easy to say. And I think a lot of people pay lip service to it, but it's, you've got to truly care about the clients and the stuff you're working on. Like if you care, that very cleanly resonates to the people you're working with. And if there's an alignment of purpose and you really are passionate about the thing you're helping your client do, you're not going to let them fail. Or if you do, it's going to be basically over your dead body. And if you care that much about what you're doing, you find you put in a lot more effort. Um, and I mean, I can speak to that from personal experience as well. You know, There was a time whenever we as an organization would work with whatever opportunities came our way and some we really loved and worked passionately on and some were like, hey, you know, it's work and you go through and you do it and guess which ones have the best outcomes? It's the stuff you care about. So if you focus on working only for the stuff you care about and you're really, really well aligned with those clients, the rest of it's going to happen. That's awesome. Hey, Chris, what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Uh, you can find our company is yokoco, Y-O-K-O-C-O.com. And then you can just find me uh, at chrisyoko.com or on you know Twitter or Facebook or any of those places. But usually you know, hitting me up on the website is probably the best way. Excellent. Hey, man, thanks so much for, uh, for sharing your journey and experience. And uh, I hope it helps other people achieve the same type of results. And I just want to know what growth is going to be like next year. <laughs> <laughs> no, my pleasure. I hope it's useful for people. And uh, yeah, looking forward to an exciting uh, year in 2019. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. To get that 40% growth, Chris is making sure he delivers amazing outcomes that lead to repeat and referral business. He's also using the client vision pyramid to ensure that his clients and potential clients can easily compare what he does to others. He's focusing on results and value, not just on price, and he's making sure that his business development folks know the impact and they share that with their own internal team to ensure they're delivering the results that clients want. Remember, this show gets the direction from you, the listener. 
If there's a guest I should have on or a topic I should cover, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.